thankful to the Lord for the last series that we did. Thankful the Lord helped me to, to preach those messages. If you have not got a chance to listen to the How Then Shall We Live series over the last six weeks, I pray that you, you can find that on our website. You can go to our YouTube channel, uh, Living Word Homa, uh, Living Word Church Homa on YouTube. And I'm thankful that, that we were able to share kind of some of the cultural issues that we're dealing with and how we are to respond as Christians. But uh, kind of our wheelhouse here at Living Word is to take a, a book of the Bible and to teach through it, to teach through Scripture. And, and if you remember, it seems like forever ago, we were going through the Gospel of John. Well, we have paused, you know, we're still pausing John. We're going to do four weeks in a Christmas series going through the book of Malachi. But we will get back to the Gospel of John in January. We'll pick up in John 9, and we talk about the man born blind. And it's going to be a special message. Looking forward to that. But we're going to go through Malachi. How many of you know the difference between a minor prophet and a major prophet? A minor prophet, sometimes maybe would think, some people would think, well, that means they have a minor message, or a major prophet is a major message. That's not what it means. A, a minor prophet is a small book, and a, a major prophet uh, like Isaiah or Jeremiah is a, is, is a big book, and so that's really what it means. And we're going to look at one of the minor prophets, Malachi. We're going to look at his letter, his prophecy from the Lord to God's people. And uh, we're going to go over it for four weeks, and it's going to culminate in chapter 4, uh, for our Christmas message. We're going to go one week. Uh, I, I was going to do one week per chapter, but we're only going to do five verses of chapter one, and I'm going to do a little combination of chapter one and two next week, but we're going to cover all four chapters in four weeks, looking at the message from the prophet Malachi to God's people. I've titled this message this morning, I have loved you, says the Lord. I've loved you, says the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the privilege of gathering together with your people. Lord, it is such a joy and an honor, Lord, to worship with your people through song, through prayer, through giving, through the preaching and the hearing of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help each person here this morning to have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to Living Word Church. Lord, help our hearts to be receptive, that we would acknowledge and recognize who we are and where we are and what you're calling us to. And God, I pray that we would respond to your message. And God, I ask that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone where you knew something was wrong, but you just couldn't put your finger on it? I would say I've been in that situation many times where I just know that something is wrong. I know that something is off. I know that, that there's a distance, there's a gap, there's maybe I've offended them or, 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 or they're, and they're offended at me or I, I just don't know exactly what's wrong. What did I say? What did I do? Or what's happening? And, and, and there's a tension that is there. There's a distance that is there. And, and we all experience that in human relationships. And what makes us different than God is that though we may not understand what's going on in a relationship from time to time, and, and we don't understand why there's a distance and a separation, God knows and sees all. He knows the hearts and the mind of every human being that he's ever made, of all human beings that he's ever made. He knows the heart. He knows intentions. He knows thoughts. And where we're grasping for understanding as to what is wrong in a relationship, God, he knows when there is distance between us and him, when there's separation and there's something that's wrong, he knows it even before we know it. 
Even before we maybe even understand what is wrong in our relationship with God, God knows it all. God sees it all because he knows what's in our heart. And this really is the heart of this book, Malachi. This is the heart of this book. And the the prophet Malachi is the last prophetic voice to God's people. After this book, after this prophecy is given to God's people, Israel, There's over 400 years of silence, 395 years approximately of silence, of of no prophetic voice. And and the silence is broken, and we're going to break the silence on on Christmas service. And I encourage you, come to a special Christmas service. I think we may even have pancakes for breakfast, Christmas service. Uh, 10 a.m., we're going to move the service back to 10. Right? But the silence is broken through the prophetic voice of John the Baptist. And what does John the Baptist say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God is here. Behold, the Lamb of God. So Malachi has a word that is going to be given to God's people, and then the voice of God goes silent. It's the dark ages for 400 years, and then John the Baptist comes on the scene. And so, so, so let's give a little context and timing. That's the, that's the heart behind this book. God wants to reveal to his people what he knows about them. And this is what we're going to see over the next three Sundays, especially the next two Sundays. He's going to reveal what he knows about them. Okay, and so here's some context. This this book is written approximately 100 years after the Jews had returned to, to Jerusalem from 70 years in exile in Babylon. So this is 100 years after they have returned from 70 years of exile, approximately 538 BC before the birth of Christ. It is also approximately 80 years after the temple in Jerusalem was rebuilt, approximately 516 BC before the birth of Christ. And then it is approximately 10 years after Nehemiah had finished rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem, 445 years before the birth of Christ. And so Malachi has a word of God, a word from God to his people. They're back, into, back in Jerusalem. The temple is rebuilt. The walls for protection around the city have been rebuilt. And he, God has a word for them. And they don't recognize what's going on. They don't see it. They don't understand what is wrong in their heart. And Malachi speaks to God and speaks to God's people in the form of questions. There's approximately 23 questions in this book. Four short chapters, 23 questions. But there's eight main questions it's kind of like questions and answers and God God will have a question and then he will tell the people what their question is he'll read their heart because he knows their heart and that's what we're going to see in the text here this morning and the main point of the book is this the main point of this book is this is that Malachi for the Lord rebukes the people for neglecting true worship and his laws and he calls them to repentance that's the point of the whole book is that God is rebuking his people through the prophet Malachi because they have neglected true worship. God had prescribed certain ways in which he was to be worshipped and they were not doing that. And we'll see that he rebukes the priest uh, in the second section in chapter 1 we'll look at next week. And he rebukes the, the people because they were not giving of their finances. They weren't giving their tithes and their offerings. And he rebukes them in chapter 3. And, and he's rebuking them because they are not following the ways in which God has established for genuine, true worship, and he calls them to repentance. But he does it in the form of questions and answers and questions and answers. And so over four messages, we'll look at God's call to his people to return to full 
devotion to him. Do you want to be fully devoted to God? Isn't that your heart's desire? To be fully devoted to the Lord. That's what I want. I don't want any mixed motives, any mixed heart. I don't want to be devoted uh, to God in a half way in my life. I don't want to be given my affection and my attention to so many other things and not to be worshiping God as he's desired to be worshiped, as he, as he calls us to worship him. So over the next four messages, we will look at God's call to his people. And this, and this is not just the people of Israel that was written to thousands of years ago. This is us. If you're a believer here today, you are God's chosen people. Do you believe that? So let us not look at this book and these rebukes that we'll see in, in, in the next few weeks as something that, well, that's written to a distant group of people, and that's not us, that's not me. No, it was God's people then, and we're under a new covenant, but we are God's people now. And the message was relevant then, but it is still relevant now. So let's look at the first five verses of the first question that God has for his people. Malachi 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Wow. You guys want to know what that means? Me too. No. <laughs> I'll try to explain it to you. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste to Esau the Edomites. I've laid waste to his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom, the descendants of Esau, says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down. They will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you will say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Wow, isn't that amazing? What an amazing introduction. I've loved you. Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. Some interesting things we're going to bring out. The main point, however, of this message is this, is that God is patient and loving with his people. And repentance begins with remembering this reality. God is patient and loving with his people and remembering, repentance begins with remembering his patience and his love. That's the main point of this entire sermon. That God is patient and loving with his people. And if we, are to, if we have strayed from him and gone away from him, repentance begins with remembering his patience and his love. So let's look at this. Let's break it down. The first point we will see from this message is that God is patient and loving towards his people. He's patient and loving towards his people. Notice Malachi 1.1. It says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The oracle. What is an, what is an oracle? The oracle of the word of the Lord. The word oracle literally is translated to mean a burden or a pronouncement. So what the prophet Malachi is saying here, what God is saying is that, that this is a burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And so a burden is this idea of, of carrying something, right? Have you ever had something on your back, like a backpack, and it was a, a weight and it was a burden that you carried? This is the picture of what is in the heart of the prophet. It is a burden from the Lord for his people and the prophet is come to give that burden, to release and express that burden of the Lord to his people. This is the oracle of the word of the Lord, to carry a burden. And this is the picture of what we see in God's spokes, with God's spokesman throughout the Old Testament. They were filled with the burden of the Lord. Filled with the burden, they were ready to communicate it. Except for what prophet? 
What prophet was not ready to communicate the burden? Jonah. You remember Jonah, the reluctant prophet? He didn't want to communicate God's word, right? But you have Jeremiah. He was the weeping prophet. He was ready to communicate the prophecy of the Lord. And the same is true with Malachi. He has this burden from the Lord that came filled with the heart of God for the people of God. God loves his people. He has a heart for Israel is a heart for us, and he gives his prophets here, Malachi, and he gives pastors and teachers and preachers and evangelists the the burden of his heart for his people, because God has a heart for us. Do you believe that here today? I love what the late Eugene Peterson said. The task of the prophet was not to smooth things over, but to make things right. The task of the prophet is not to smooth things over. You have a lot of smooth tongue, quote-unquote, prophets that go around today. And, 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 and the task of the prophet is not to smooth it over, but to make it right. The prophet is there to speak truth, to divide, to speak clearly the truth that God's people need to hear. And this is what Malachi is going to do. And this is what we need today. We need preaching in pulpits today that is more concerned with disturbing people out of complacency versus preaching that lulls people into a religious stupor. We need prophetic preaching, preaching that will shake us out of our complacency and call us to repentance when we need it and to call us to a fervency for God. Amen? I love what John Stott says. He says, we must allow the word of God to confront us to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. Amen? Disturb our security. Undermine our complacency. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of complacency just like the next man. And we need the prophetic word of God to come and to speak clearly the word of the Lord so that we can walk with passion and fervency. So this burden, Malachi has a burden. He has a burden on his heart from the Lord. And where does he start? What does the Lord want his people to know? What is a prophet burdened with to tell God's people? And in essence, this is what I see here. Before we get to the details of what needs to be made right, I'm not here to smooth things over as a prophet. I'm here to make things right. You have strayed from God. Before we get to the details of what you are not doing that God has called you to do, I want you to know something. The Lord wants you to know something. Look at verse 2 of Malachi 1. I have loved you, says the Lord. Isn't that good? Don't you love it when some, before, if somebody's going to correct you, that before they correct you, they let you know that they love you? Parents, do you do that with your kids? I love you. I love you so much. And what I'm about to have to do to you is going to be more painful to me than it is to you. But I want you to know that I love you and I'm doing this because I love you. God treats us in the same way that we treat our own flesh and blood. He says, I'm going to rebuke you. The word, of, of, uh, uh, the, the word from my heart for you is that you would return to me. You've grown complacent. But I want you to know before I rebuke you and correct you, I have loved you. Wow, the Lord declares the greatest expression of his faithfulness to his people, and that's his love. It's his love. What does it mean that he loves us? What does it mean to love? It literally means, to translate this word love, literally means to care for, to show loyalty to, 
to care for and to show loyalty to. So I, I thought about that. What, what do we see with Israel? Back, back to our context of, of Israel and God letting Israel know that I loved you, that I have loved you. It's, a, it's, it's past tense and present tense at the same time. I have loved you and I am loving you now. What, has, what do we see in the Old Testament that would show us God's patience and love and care for his people, Israel? Where did the promise begin with Israel? It began with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, speaking to Abram, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The promise to Israel started with Abraham. Did Abraham deserve that promise? Did Abraham deserve God's patience and love? Who was Abraham? but a liar. Do you remember he lied? She's not my wife. She's my, she's my sister. God gave Abraham a promise that through his seed that, 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 that all the nations of the world would be blessed and that God would give him a son. And, and what did Abraham do? Did he trust God's promise? No, he said, hey, Sarah, Sarai, I have a, we have a servant woman. How about you have relations with her, and God will work together with God to make this happen. Can you imagine that? Ladies, if your husband ever, ever says anything like that, slap him in the face and call me. <laughs> step one, step two, slap him in the face and call your pastor. The promise started with a liar and a man who didn't trust God's promises, right? God is patient with his people, is he not? Abraham, okay, so the promise starts with Abraham, and then that nation that came from the loins of Abraham was delivered by God from Egyptian slavery. And what does God say of them while they complain in the wilderness for 40 years? It's amazing what God says about them, but the reason he said it was because why? Moses goes to the Mount, Mount Sinai, and he's getting the, the, the word from the Lord, and, and, and he's up there too long, and the people are impatient, and they said, we need a leader, and they look at Aaron, and we need to worship something and somebody, and, 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 and they look at Aaron, and Aaron, hey, let's get some gold together. Let's take all the gold necklaces and earrings, and let's melt them down, and let's worship a golden calf. What does God say to Moses after he sees this idolatry from his people whom he loves? Exodus 32, and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let them alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and that I may consume them in, in order that I may make a great nation of you. I'm willing to start over now again. Let's start over. How has God showed care and loyalty to his people? It's over and over again. And I love the culmination. This is just kind of, I think, a great culmination of the picture of the care, the loyalty, the love, the patience of God with Israel, his people throughout the Old Testament. I think it culminates beautifully in Deuteronomy 7. Listen to what the Lord says. It is not, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. It wasn't because you were a great people. And you had all these numbers of people. It wasn't because of that that I chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. I have loved you, declares the Lord. It's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. That he swore to your fathers that the Lord has. It's because of that that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. God is patient and loving with his people. We see it over and over again. Patience, 
patience. It's, it's like the patience of a parent, right? Patience of a parent. How many of you parents have watched the cartoon Bluey? It's the best cartoon. I'm telling you, not many cartoons out there show a, a good dad married to a biological woman, biological <laughs> Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Not many shows really have that today for our kids to consume, right? You got a man and a woman, and they're the best parents on planet Earth. Like, they're always, and the the shows are only seven and a half minutes. And in seven and a half minutes, if you're a parent, you you leave feeling like, um, I'm a terrible parent. (laughs) These parents are so engaged. But there was one episode of Bluey that just reminds me of the patience of God, the patience of a parent. It's, 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 uh, it's the dad's birthday. and uh, What's the dad's name? It's uh, Bandit. 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 Dad's name is Bandit. <laughs> and it's Bandit's birthday. And you have two girls, Bluey and Bingo. And so they want to make an omelet, an egg, an omelet for their dad. That's his favorite for breakfast. And so the mom is, is Bingo wants to help her, her mom make an omelet for her dad. And so, so at first the mom's like, no, I'm just going to get it done. And then, and then she lets bingo crack the egg and you know what happens when a, I think three or four year old cracks an egg it doesn't get in the bowl and then it doesn't you know they go through a, a dozen eggs and it's still not working right and then she's got to go borrow eggs from a neighbor the scene switches to the neighbor she borrows eggs from the neighbor and then that doesn't work and she goes to the next neighbor and gets more eggs and eventually she gets an omelet and they bring it to the dad and the dad is hangry and he scarfs down the omelet and he tells bingo it was the best omelet I've ever had in my life isn't that such a picture of the patience of God that that we see with his people yeah, we keep cracking the eggs and we get shells in the omelet and, and we make a big mess of the yolk all over the place and we're, we're stirring it and we're spilling it all over the place. You see that with Israel. They just make messes of everything that God calls them to do. And may we not think we're the same way, right? But God is patient with us. God is patient and loving with his people. And may we not forget his loving kindness and his patience. Prophet Hosea I love what the prophet Hosea says. He says, but I am the Lord your God. Speaking for the Lord, I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It is I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. I've been patient with you. But when they had grazed, they became full. What does it mean to graze? You, you guys grazed during the holiday season. Do you, do you know what that means? You're eating all the holiday food. When you've grazed, you become full. How many full people we have here today? They became full, and they were filled, and their hearts were lifted up. That's pride. God's provided. He's given us abundance and wealth, and we're full, and we're, we're fat and sassy, and we become full and prideful. And this is what we see with Israel through the prophet Malachi. They've grazed. They've eaten. We're out of exile The walls have been rebuilt. The temple has been rebuilt. We don't need God. Notice the end of Hosea 13. Therefore they forgot God. Therefore they forgot God. Forgetting God doesn't mean that you literally forget him. It means that you replace him. To forget God means you replace God. 
That's what it means when God's people forget him. You replace him. I don't need him. I'm good. I've got it worked out. I've got a system for my life. And I get my kids up and we get out of bed at at, at 6 a.m. We get them dressed. I drive them to home a Christian school for 725. Sometimes we barely make it there on time. And and, and then I come to work and I've got my routines and I have all the things that I do and all my systems and my pull, my levers and everything is good. I pay my bills and, 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 and I'm fat and I'm sassy and I have a, right? And then all of a sudden we forget, God, I don't need God. And this replacement, this replacement, this forgetting, this replacement of God is what leads to what we see next in the text. God says, I love you and I have been patient. He's patient and loving towards his people. But look next, what we see, God's people people often doubt his love and question his plan. God's people often doubt his love and question his plan. Look back at the text in Malachi, Malachi 1 Verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, God says, I know your heart, and in your heart you say, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? Is that just a simple answer that God is, is seeing in their heart? Is he, just, is he revealing something in their heart that is just a simple answer that, 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 that Israel just wants to know? God, tell us, God, recount all of your, your loving kindness towards us. Is, you, do you think that that's what's behind God revealing the heart of his people? No, I don't think the people are interested in the recounting of God's faithfulness. I think there's a sarcasm there. God says, I've loved you. And God says, I know that in your heart you say, how have you loved us? I think it could be something like this. We were in exile for 70 years. We've been the nation that other nations mock and rule over. You have continually forgotten us. You've left us time and again vulnerable to your enemies. I think that's the heart behind what is being said whenever God reads the heart and the mind of his people. And he says, I know that you're questioning my love. You doubt my love and you question my plan. And you say, how have you loved us, God? What is the Lord's response to the heart of his people? It's just amazing. This is his answer. Is not Esau Jacob's brother? Thanks, God. That clears it up. <laughs> like, like, first reading, you're like, okay, great. I know you love me now. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. I, I, I get that. I know our ancestry, Lord. It's not, let me tell you how I've loved you. It's not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob. And Esau, I have hated and we've read it. I've laid waste to his hill country and Esau and his descendants, the Edomites, they're going to try to rebuild, but I'm going to tear it down and I'm going to, I'm going to the text says, I'm going to be angry with the Lord with, I will be angry with them forever. Wow. Is not Esau Jacob's brother? Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. I've blessed Jacob, but Esau I have cursed. What's God saying here to his people? He says, I love you and you say, I doubt it. I love you, and you say, I doubt it. And God says, you doubt it? Let me tell you who you are. You're Jacob. You are Jacob. You're not Esau. You're Jacob. 
you're Jacob. God's answer to their questioning is don't forget that you are Jacob. The promise has come from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. You are Jacob. You are the generation of the promise. You are Israel. You're not Esau. You're not the Edomites. You're not the Edomites that, that I will curse forever. You are Jacob, whom I've chosen. It's not Esau, Jacob's brother. So what does this mean when it says, Jacob, I've loved, but Esau, I've hated? What does it mean that God hates? Well, I think when you come up to a text like that, a section like that, and there's another section in Romans chapter 9 we'll get to in a little bit, but in Romans 9, Paul references Malachi here, and he says, is, as it is written, Jacob, I've loved, Esau, I've hated, and we'll read that in a minute here. But what does it mean? I think sometimes when you come to a hard section, it's describing God as hating, you have to ask the question, what does it not mean? Sometimes we can get confused and, and we try to figure out what it does mean. Well, what does it not mean? Well, what it doesn't mean is that God does, God does not have sinful hate. So let's understand what this hate is. Well, how do we know God doesn't have sinful hate? Well, Matthew 5 says this. This is Jesus speaking. You've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say that everyone who is angry or, or hateful with his brother will be liable to judgment. God is, does not condone sinful hating. God does not sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a, is a murderer. So if God's calling us to not hate our brother, God doesn't hate either in that type of sinful way. What does the idea of God hating Esau mean? I think here's, here's another example of what, of what I think as we're getting tracking along to try to understand it. You remember Jesus was talking to his disciples, we talked about this last week a little bit about whoever doesn't bear, take up his own cross, come after me, can't be my disciple. And Jesus says this shocking thing in Luke 12. He says this, now great crowds accompanied him and turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, there's a word again, hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What does Jesus mean by that in verse 25 and 26. What he means is verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's what it means. Jesus is making a point in Luke 12 that, that, that there may be a time in your life, in your relationships with your brother, with your sister, with your wife, with your kids, where you won't take part in the things that they take part in. You won't be in relationship with them in the same way that you used to be before you were a Christian. And so it can appear to them that you're hating them. And it can appear to them and they say, and you may even hear statements, why do you hate me so much? It seems like you hate me because you don't want to take part in what we're taking part in or do what we're doing. Or maybe it's a friend and, and, and they accuse you of hating them. And it's not that you hate them, it's that you love God more than you love them. And your desire is to honor God more than anyone else. It's, it's a picture of priority. It's a picture of priority. God saying he hated Esau gives us the picture of priority. Now, now I know for some of us this still doesn't help us and we don't doesn't really solve all the questions we have about God choosing someone over someone else. And I'm not here to unpack all of that. That's a difficult subject. But, but here's, here's what I will say. that Someone approached an old theologian and said, I have a problem with Malachi 1.3, where God says he hates Esau. The theologian answered, I have a problem with Malachi 1.2, where God says he loves Jacob. Was Esau worse than Jacob and Jacob better than Esau? No, they were both bad. 
They were twin brothers. What did Esau do? Esau said, my birthright is not worth more than a pot of beans, Jacob, and you can have it. And what did Jacob do? He was a deceiver and a liar. He put, he put skins of hair on his arms to deceive his father Isaac because his father Isaac was blind and he was going to go give the firstborn Esau the family blessing and he deceived, he deceived his father and he stole the blessing from his brother Esau. So both of them were evil. I love what Warren Wiersbe says about it too. He says, we certainly can't explain the love and grace of God fully, nor do we have to. But we can experience God's grace and love and trust Christ and walk with him because the Lord is even willing to be the God of Jacob. Amen? Jacob and Esau were not deserving of grace. Esau despised his birthright and sold it for beans. Jacob was a liar and stole the birthright. You know what's what's interesting to note, and and I think this is a, a... This is more of a connection to what it means that Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. I think it's connected to their descendants and the direction that their nation, that each each heritage and nation went. So out of of Jacob, right, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, out of Jacob comes Israel, God's people, and out of Esau comes the Edomites, people who hated God. And I think that's a picture of what is being said there, that this statement that is in Malachi is written 1,500 years after the birth of Jacob and Esau. So Jacob goes his direction and Esau goes his direction and Jacob is, it goes after the ways of the Lord and his descendants and we know not perfectly, but Esau, they mock God. They're the enemies of God's people and their descendants follow after that. Listen to the judgment of God from Obadiah on the Edomites. For the day of the Lord, oh, oh, Obadiah 1, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau stubble, destroyed. They shall burn them and consume them and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken. You guys still tracking with me? So the point is this. Don't forget the point. The point is this. Israel, back to Malachi, Israel should grasp God's love by simply comparing their blessings to Edom's punishments. This is what God is saying. He's saying, you doubt my love and you question my plan. And you say, and you say I, don't know how, I, I don't know how you say you love us. If this is the love of somebody who's, my, who's our father, I'd hate to be your enemy, right? But the point is this, Israel should grasp God's love. How have I loved you? Because you're not Esau. You're Jacob, I chose you, I called you. To the Jews, the Babylonian invasion was chastening. They were in exile for 70 years. That was the chastening of the Lord. But to the Edomites, it was judgment. Do you guys get that? The question that Israel is asking God is not one of genuine curiosity. It is an accusatory question. How have you loved us? And God says, I've loved you because you are Jacob. We often question God. Do you ever question God's love? Hey, God, I'm, I'm, I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I've been following you. I got saved when I was a kid, and I walked the aisle. I prayed the prayer. I've been serving you, and we often question God's love in the middle of suffering, and I think this is what God is revealing to his people. He's saying, I've loved you, and you've questioned it, but don't forget what I've done for you. But in the middle of suffering and trials, we often doubt God's love. In suffering, we doubt God's love, and we question his plan, and sometimes we'll even say things like this. If God loved me, he wouldn't let me. 
fill in the blank. If God loved me, he wouldn't let me have that diagnosis. If God loved me, he wouldn't have taken my loved one. If God loved me, that wouldn't have happened. If, if God loved me, we question just like Israel and Malachi's day. We do the same thing. We often don't understand God's plan because we can only see. Listen, listen, track with me. We often don't understand God's plan because we often only see from the micro level. What's the micro level? It's right here. The macro level is what? It's a 10,000 foot perspective. The micro is here. The macro is here. And we often don't understand God's plan because all we can see is here. How many of you are like me and often you only see what's here? Oh, it's over. It's done. How many of you felt like that? Couldn't believe it. Football off the helmet of Jack, of, of Besh. Are, are you serious? Well, your suspicions are right. It was over. Before it started, by the way. But, but how, how many of us, that's how we are. We're just micro-level Christians. And we doubt God's goodness and his plan because this went wrong and that went wrong and what I was waiting for and praying for and hoping for didn't happen and, we, and we, this is how we react with the ever pessimist. Oh, it's over, it's done, it's done. This is the end, I can't believe it. Sticking with cartoons, you guys ever watch Winnie the Pooh? How many Eeyore quick Christians do we have today? I love Eeyore. Eeyore, I can relate to Eeyore because half of my life I feel that I feel like Eeyore. I'm like, oh, this is just ridiculous. It's, uh, I can't believe this. I love Eeyore. They were celebrating his birthday, and he's like, after all, what are birthdays? Here today, gone tomorrow. <laughs> right? What else does Eeyore say? He loses his tail all the time, right? That's, that's Eeyore, right? Constantly trying to find his tail, pin the tail on the donkey. They find his tail. They get it back to him. And what does he say? Most likely lose it again anyway. <laughs> How often are we like Eeyore? I think this is God's people here in Malachi. They're just, I, I doubt your love, God. And God says, you should never doubt my love. You're Jacob. You're the people of covenant. You're the people of promise. How have I loved you? How have I loved you? But all you see is what is right in front of you. And God is saying, step back. Look at the big picture. You're Jacob. Quit questioning me. Quit debating in your mind as to why this is happening and that is happening. And I don't understand it. And, and this leads us to, to this questioning and this debating. God, you've chosen and you've not chosen and you've blessed and you've cursed. And I don't get it. I don't understand God. Well, Paul deals with this in Romans 9, doesn't he? Listen to what he says to the people who question and doubt God. He says, will you say to me then, Romans 9, this is after Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. Will you say to me then, why does he still find fault? Is that what you're going to say? You're going to accuse me that I'm a God of injustice? For who can resist his will? If God chooses and he doesn't, and he doesn't choose this person, doesn't choose this person, blesses this one, doesn't bless this one. But who are you, O oh man, to answer back? To God. Will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Why have you done this, God? Why have you allowed this? Why is this happening? Will the molder say, will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? To make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? When I read sections like that, 
I often just want to say, okay, sermon done. Go home and think about that for a little while. But to be merciful to you today and all of us, we're not done with the sermon. But let's not forget the point. The point, is, the point is this. God's people had grown complacent after rescue from captivity in Babylon. They'd grown comfortable and were not honoring God. They had forgotten. Listen, this is so important. They had forgotten their place in relation to God. That's what people do. They forget, we forget our place in relation to God. And we try to flip the script on God and we try to be God's. And this is what they had done. They had forgotten who God is. Their heart had grown cynical towards the Lord. And God is trying to call them back and remind them. He's revealing what is in their hearts to call them back, to call them back. I've loved you, and you say, how have you loved us? And all the whole point is to call them back. He's about to rebuke them, and we'll get to the rebuke next week and the week after. If you want to skip those two and come to Christmas, I understand. But let's look at the conclusion of the introductory comments from the prophet. I love this. God says, I've loved you. And you say, I know your heart. You're cynical. You're accusatory. You question, you doubt, how have you loved us? You haven't loved us. Look what you've done. Look what you've allowed. I love Malachi 1.5. The Lord says, your own eyes shall see this, and you will say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Third thing we see from this text is that God's good plan extends beyond borders and nations. God's good plan extends beyond borders nations your own eyes shall see this your own eyes shall see this shall see what shall see what shall see that I love you your own eyes shall see that this is not about you you're gonna have 400 years of silence and your gener- the generation has come after you it's gonna be a while but you're gonna see You're going to see that I've loved you. You're going to see that the covenant's going to come through you. You're going to see your own eyes, Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, my people. Your own eyes shall see this, that I love you. You shall see that I judge my enemies. You shall see that my plans are good. I love what Matthew Henry says about this section. He says, those who doubt of God's love to his people shall sooner or later have convincing and undeniable proofs given to them. Your own eyes will see what you will not believe. God is good. He's faithful to his people. Amen. Your eyes shall see that God in his love keeps his promises, Israel. You're cynical and you're doubting and you don't know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, but you shall see. I'm a keeper of my promises. Amen? I love what it says next. You shall see, and then now you will say. You will say, you will say. What, what, what will you say? You will say, great is the Lord. Boy, I could get preachy right here. <laughs> you, remember, you remember in the Gospels, you remember the Gospels where the The Jews did the palm branches down as the Lord came on the donkey through Jerusalem. What were they doing? 
Hosanna to God in the highest. You will see and you will say, great is the Lord. You see the fulfillment of this prophecy. This is a prophecy the Lord is giving to his people. And he's saying, you will see that I am faithful and you will see that I keep my promises and you will say, great is the Lord. You will declare the goodness of my plan which culminates in Christ. And you will declare his greatness for all to hear. You will see and you will say, great is the Lord. What an amazing contrast. The Lord is saying at the beginning of this prophecy, I know your heart. I I know your heart is far from me right now. I know you doubt my love. I know you doubt my plan is good. But remember, you come from Jacob, who came from Isaac who came from Abraham, you're not under my judgment as Edom is. You're my covenant people. Never doubt my love for you. Never doubt my love for you. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Never doubt my love for you. In every season of life, sickness, disease, suffering, pain, Discipline, chastening from the Lord, whatever season you find yourself in, never doubt God's love for you. You will see and you will say, great is the Lord. Look back at the text. I love this. Great is the Lord where? Beyond the border of Israel. (laughs) That is so good. This is so good. There's so many different rabbit trails my brain was going while I had these notes. I had like 4,000 words. I put them down to 2,600 for the sake of your sanity. But, but just think about this. Think about this. You will see that I'm faithful and I keep my promises and that promise will culminate in Christ. And you will say, great is the Lord. Hosanna to God in the highest. And you will praise the Messiah. But you will not think that the Messiah came for those beyond the border of Israel. You will think it's only for you. And I'll have to speak to Peter in a dream, and I'll have to speak to the other apostles, and you have to realize that the gospel's for everybody. It's not just for you. It's not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Israel. Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. You will say, great is the Lord, and you will be my witness nation. This is what he's telling them in Malachi. Now just think about this. Before 400 years of silence, he's telling him this. You're going to see and you're going to say and you're going to declare beyond the borders of Israel, you will be my witness nation. It's a fulfillment of Acts 1.8. This is Jesus after the resurrection, before he ascends. What does he tell his Jewish disciples? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem. Sign me up. I'm good. I like Jerusalem. I love them in Jerusalem. Judea. I like them people too. Samaria. Uh-oh. I'm not sure about those folks. And to the end of the earth. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? God loves us. He loves his people. He loves Israel. He loved his people. He's calling them back to himself. They've grown cynical and cold and hard. And and nowhere in their mind are they thinking that they're going to be a witness nation to tell others about Christ, tell Gentiles, definitely not Samaritans, about Christ. So I end with this. What about your life? 
What about your life? In your life, you might be doubting God's love and questioning his plan. In your life, you might have allowed the difficult circumstances you're walking through to harden your heart a little towards the Lord. Maybe that's you in your life as God's people. Your heart's a little bit hard towards him, a little bit cynical, a little bit questioning. What about you? The Lord is calling his covenant people Israel back to himself, and the Lord is calling you. He called his covenant people back to himself, and today he's calling you as God's people back to him if you strayed. And what, is he, what did he tell, listen, what did he tell Israel then to prove his love to them? He said, you're people of covenant. You're Jacob. You're not Esau. What does he tell us when we're doubting and we're questioning? What does he tell us? He says, you're in Christ. You have better covenant with better promises. You're in Christ. You are in a covenant with me. And what else does he tell us? In your life, you will say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Homa, Chauvin, Berg, Dularge, Thibodeau, Raceland, Cocodri, Golden Meadow, amen, Galliano, amen, right? Great is the Lord beyond the border, wherever we go. This is the point. God wants to use his people to say, great is the Lord everywhere they go. He's preparing the hearts of his people for 400 years of silence for the coming of John the Baptist to say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world so that they will be the witness nation to us as Gentiles. So that we, even in our doubting, even in our questioning, may we never doubt his goodness and his mercy and may we be like Israel, a witness nation to the covenant promises of God. God wants to use his people to say, great is the Lord. Amen? So we end where we started. I don't know your heart today, and, but God does. He knows if you've replaced him with allegiance to lesser things, as we'll unpack over the next few weeks. Maybe your heart's grown cold because you've forgotten or you've replaced him. You've forgotten his goodness. You've forgotten his goodness. So let's end like this. Let's end where we started. What's the purpose this message of this book, God is patient and loving with his people. And repentance begins with remembering this reality. Amen. God is good. Is he not good? Has he not been good to us? And may we be that witness nation that declares everywhere we go, great is the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word that reminds us of who you are and your goodness towards your people. And I pray that if there's anybody here today that is not in relationship with you yet, God, I pray that they would see the goodness and the grace of God through the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ on the cross on their behalf. And they would recognize their sinfulness and their need for a Savior. They would repent and believe in the gospel today. May, not, may, may there not be one person today who doesn't say the simple prayer, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my rebellion against you. And Lord, I confess Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord. 
believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is God. May may there be anyone here who hasn't done that that will not do that. And may we as your people, may we not doubt your goodness and your plan even when we don't understand it. May we be people who remember your promises. And may we declare your goodness everywhere we go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.